at fire danger, the cold weather and the strong monsoon signal warnings are in force. That's all the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Brian Wong. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Janice. On today's program, we're talking about changes in the local taxi trade. A new penalty system will be put in place in the coming year, aimed at stamping out practices such as overcharging, refusing service, taking roundabout routes or not charging according to the meter. Bad drivers will get points deducted for infractions and will have to take a driver improvement course or even get disqualified from driving for up to six months if they lose too many points. Besides this new system, the Legislative Council has also passed two other bills related to the trade. One to introduce premium taxi fleets to provide higher quality services and another to bring in tougher penalties for operators of illegal car rental services. So what do you think? Are these the right steps to take? Will the taxi trade improve as a result? After 9.45, we'll look at smart toilets after a trail runner was recently logged in one for 10 minutes. How user-friendly are they? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now uh, to kick off our discussion this morning, um, we have on the line Gilly Wong, Chief Executive of the Consumer Council, and KY Leung, the former president of the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. Good morning, Ms. Wong. Good morning, Janice and Brian. And uh, good morning, Mr. Leung. Good morning. Thanks, Good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Ms. Wong, um, just uh, let's go to you first. Have you received any recent complaints related to the taxi trade? And if you have, what are they about? Well, um, as we all know, um, for uh, complaints regarding taxi, usually it goes to the transport complaints unit of the transport department. But um, uh, despite uh, we all know that we still receive some complaints on taxi, just in this year until November, we received 28 cases already. And the majority of it, talking about 19 cases, uh, is related to price dispute. And um, the typical pain points of consumers, uh, including um, the quality of service, you know, poor attitude, or maybe uh, refusing to accept a hire, you know, etc., uh, all constitute, you know, to that uh, 28 cases. Uh, probably, you know, I'll give you just an example, uh, because uh, as we open up the border and uh, resume traveling, um, there are some tourists uh, file complaint to the Consumer Council because they may be less familiar with um, the local system uh, to file complaint to the Transport Complaints Unit. Uh, just to give you an example, um, the complainant got a taxi from Tim Sacher to MOT, and um, the taxi driver didn't start the meter, tally, um, <clears throat> the taxi meter at all, and just claimed two hundred and seventy, two hundred and seventy dollars to the complainant. So the complainant, obviously, it is a tourist. She don't know uh, what she could do. So she simply, you know, just paid it. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, she tried to argue because she, her, her sense, you know, told her that you know it's just far too expensive. But um, the driver just pretended didn't understand English at all, and then uh, reluctant, you know, to have any communication. So that's why at the end, because uh, the complainant was in a hurry, she settled first, but uh, after that, you know, she filed a complaint to the council. So it is like a typical case, you know, that we receive uh, about price dispute. 
Thank you. Now, in terms of the awareness and also you know, an understanding of the own rights, it strikes me that there's a deficit right now in terms of how consumers you know, are or aren't aware of the recourse they could pursue in order to get back at the taxi drivers who abuse their privileges. So do you think there's more work that could be done by the council, Gilly, to promote the awareness and understanding of the rights of uh, uh, customers and consumers in these cases? Um, definitely. Um, for local consumers, um, I mean, you know, the residents in Hong Kong, obviously, you know, they have a much better awareness and understanding on um, where they can file a complaint and also what are the redress, you know, they want to seek for. Um, but um, for tourists, you know, usually they think, you know, it is, uh, I, I come here only occasionally or maybe once, and then, you know, just in case, you know, they uh, encounter this kind of uh, unhappy um, experience, um, they just let go, or in, <clears throat> when they make a claim, um, they really don't know, you know, where to file uh, the the complaint and ask for help. So we think, you know, uh, overseas promotions uh, through our counterparts, you know, in other parts of the world, <clears throat> about you know the practices in Hong Kong and also through our website, uh, is also very important to educate them. You know, you don't have to bear with all this uh, unreasonable, uh, excessive uh, charge in the price for taxi fee because we have specific regulation to regulate the price already, and then, you know, what are the uh, easiest channel for them to file a complaint, you know, if they if they really want to. All right. And Mr. Leung, what's uh, your assessment of the situation? I mean, we just heard from Ms. Wong, and she says she's uh, received some complaints uh, related to poor attitudes. I mean, what's your assessment uh, when it comes to the quality of taxi trade? Well, my view is uh, what Ms. Wong has described is really a tip of the iceberg, because uh, uh, local residents know too well that when you want to make a complaint, you complain to the transport complaint unit. So mainly it's uh, visitors, tourists uh, that do not know the system. Uh, but whether you know the system or not, there are situations like, say for example, it's actually uh, a well-known news and police actually have been trying to, 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 to police against that. It's, for example, during weekend, in, in Central District, somewhere near the bar area, like Fong in particular, well, there are people who charge so high. Uh, so I think the problem is, it's not the, uh, yes, there are problems. And the problem is because how our, how our taxi services are managed, how our taxi services are designed and managed. I think that is the issue. Thank you. And KY, do you not also think there might be an issue to do with uh, competition, right? That some say there's a dearth of competition right now in relation to the, uh, the, the sort of taxi industry at large. And maybe introducing new competitors could be instrumental in motivating taxi drivers to also up the game correspondingly. What do you make of this argument? Well, yes, of course, competitions uh, will, will, will come out with, with competition. There, there will be improvement in service. The, and we often hear that, uh, uh, well, even in, in this particular program last time when I was invited, there are always uh, uh, views from the public that we should le legalize Uber, for example. Well, and, but governments say that it's illegal. And I do understand the government's point of view. It's not because whether you can change the law or law, but the reality is it's a much more deep-rooted problem because of the taxi license premium, uh, which is more or less a right to actually operate taxi uh, in a way that uh, that government gives you the right. And 
you have to get that right initially from government, uh, when government issue new taxi license. But of course, afterwards, it's in the open market. So it's sort of considered sort of property. And if government actually legalize some other public transfer to a scale and format similar to that of taxi, to a similar uh, 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 clients, uh, uh, the service being similar, then there's always an issue of do we respect uh, individuals' property rights in Hong Kong. So if there are competition, competition should come within the, the uh, uh, taxi industry, within these uh, 18,000 taxis. And personally, I support the, the government's new latest approach of having premium taxi, having taxi fleets organized, uh, then you can have competition. Because if you have competition, uh, as I mentioned last time, when I visit, got invited to this program, you, 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 you get to have an enforcement to make sure that there are minimum behavior. The taxi driver and the taxi trade should behave. But at the same time, you should also have incentive. It's always the case, if you only have the stick but not the carrot, it will not go that far, very far. All right. And let's go back to Ms. Wong, because I know you need to rush off very mm. soon. And just a, a quick response to oh, what okay. uh, Mr. Leung was saying about uh, uh, increased competition, about uh, Ubers. What's your view on that? Well, uh, we have already reported a few years ago uh, in advocating to regulate the point-to-point transport service uh, on top of, you know, the taxi service and also the uh, limousine car, uh, rental car uh, license, you know, that we are having. Uh, because this is a global trend that, you know, we call... Uh, a car point-to-point service from, to drive us you know, from one point to another point you know, safely. So it is the expectation of consumers that <clears throat> they want to have a trace transportation, EC, and also the choices of different uh, car types you know, to accommodate the different needs. For example, if you have elderly, um, you need to bring them to, uh, to the hospital with wheelchair. Um, in Hong Kong, is even though with uh, with some taxi, you know, they can accommodate that, uh, but still, you know, it's uh, it's very hard, you know, to book, you know, sometimes. And um, uh, certain disputes, you know, already also uh, indicate that uh, for some taxis, you know, they charge a um, uh, a charge, you know, for carrying people uh, with a wheelchair. Uh, so this is um, not the expectation of consumer. And uh, with the new premium taxi fleet, obviously, it is a very good move. Um, as a very good pilot, you know, to see whether competition can really improve the service quality of taxi. But on the other hand, you know, um, uh, as we said, you know, a long, long time ago, if it doesn't work or, you know, it doesn't really meet the, the need of consumers still um, because of uh, the number of taxis is not enough or maybe the taxi drivers still, you know, have a certain uh, attitude problems, etc. then probably, you know, the, the regulation of um, the uh, car hailing platform is very important you know, to meet the expectation of consumers and also fulfill the city's um, uh, aspiration to become a smart city, which are digital uh, means to uh, uh, to order um, car to, uh, point-to-point, you know, car transportation service is very fundamental. All right, Ms. Wong, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Gilly Wong, Chief Executive of the Consumer Council. Um, so uh, let's go back to you, Mr. Leung. Um, I mean, apart from uh, this uh, new penalty point system, we talked a bit, a bit about uh, the launch of premium taxi fleets. And of course, uh, there are, are going to be tougher penalties for operators of illegal car rental services. Um, what do you think of uh, that move? I mean, is it enough? Um, should, uh, should I mean, you, you suggested more regulations. What, what's, uh, can you just elaborate on that point? 
Well, you you mean for the premium taxi or for the for the uh, for the uh, uh, car rental service? For the car rental service. For the car rental service, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, is well, it's when it's illegal, it's illegal, and it's a matter of uh, how government enforce the the law, and and the yes, to a certain extent, I I personally support if it's illegal. Then we should actually uh, uh, stop it, and then there should be heavier penalty. But that is only practical when there are alternative service, uh, say for example, uh, some premium taxi service readily available. Uh, otherwise, again, to the consumer, that's to the general public, it's unfair in a way that uh, if you see it from different angles, right? They yes, and just now I mentioned about. Taxi uh, license premium. Uh, there is one angle that we always observe: property rights for individuals. But at the same time, from the, uh, the the public does have a claim; they have the right to claim for to have a good service. And if you just again going through the same thing by by stopping it, even just because it's illegal, but do not give an an alternative service or organize an alternative service to the public, it's also unfair to the public. Now, KY, we've talked a lot about penalties and punishments and a lot of sort of negative measures we can adopt to, to really disincentivize uh, violations of protocol and, and even the law. But uh, can, we, can we perhaps change the perspective to think a bit more about the mental health and also the physical health and the conditions of these drivers? Because perhaps what's missing here is also a provision of, of basic welfare and a guarantee of an income, and maybe that's part of the reason why the drivers of taxis are engaging in such, a, you might say, unscrupulous behaviours. They're kind of productive. What do you make of the positive incentives, the carrot, so to speak, in this, in this equation? Yes, because the, the taxi trade itself uh, actually operates in such a way that uh, you, you, you earn, uh, you work hard, as a taxi driver, or what we call a rentee driver, that's going to you, you're going to rent a taxi, and then do operate on your own as a business. Uh, the the situation is, or the market force so far under the current regulatory regime is, you earn a living if you you work hard, but not really a, a very good living. Uh, you won't earn too much, and that is the reason why uh, it's never. But of course. The negative image of the of the taxi trade, uh, and and that is the reason why that the industry itself, the trade itself, is hardly attractive to young people, young drivers. So you have age drivers, uh, and and that and that's why unless you have something that actually, for example, you provide better income. On the other hand, you see the the. The the rental the the rental car service, they are young drivers, right? Just it actually it shows that it's not that young people are not willing to drive a car to earn a living, but they do not want to drive a taxi, and that must be something wrong with the taxi. If you have a premium service, you charge higher. Well, after all, the the Uber uh, taxi or uh, Uber car actually charge much higher. And, and it's proven that there are market and, and the traffic public, there are at least some people quite willing to pay more. So it's a matter of 
how to restructure and reorganize the taxi trade so that you charge higher, give better, higher quality service. And yet, at the same time, uh, the people working in that particular sector within the trade will earn more and you can attract better people coming into it. All right, uh, let's bring in uh, another guest, and uh, he's Oren Thatcher, Principal of OTC Planning and Design, a consultancy specializing in urban mobility. Uh, good morning, Mr. Thatcher. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, uh, so far we, we've talked about uh, the, the new measures and uh, our other guest, Mr. Lowe, he, he supports uh, premium taxi fleets and he welcomes the uh, new penalty system. What's your view on all of this? Um, I've been listening. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me uh, on the show and uh, give me the opportunity to comment on this. Uh, uh, I've been listening to the uh, um, comments and observations made by Mr. Leung and, and, and um, um, Ms. Wong. And uh, uh, the one thing that stands out to me that didn't come up at all, uh, including by, uh, I mean, most surprising me maybe by Ms. Wong, who mentioned uh, uh, consumer aspirations or expectations and, and even the concept of a smart city is the topic of payment. Uh, uh, anybody who travels around the world uh, these days, but it's not even a new thing, uh, can't not be absolutely stunned uh, about the backwardness of Hong Kong taxis refusing to accept a payment uh, that's not cash. Uh, almost uh, across the board. I know that there are some uh, who do take um, uh, octopus and so on, but around the world, without exception, um, electronic payment, uh, most commonly in the form of, of, of um, uh, credit card, uh, certainly in China for many years with the WeChat and Alipay and so on, um, has been common and, and expected, and Hong Kong does not do that. Now, I'm, I'm, this for me is a symptom of, um, of an industry that just refuses to move with the times. And I think the uh, appearance of alternatives like Uber is partly a response to that. I mean, the, the, the form of payment is not unrelated to it because uh, the world is moving to a cash, you know, cashless societies, and Hong Kong uh, um, stubbornly refuses to do it, especially in, you know, w w with taxis. Uh, I think that's a very, uh, it's just something that I was expecting to hear and, and or expecting to come up in these reforms that are being proposed, and, and the fact that it wasn't even mentioned is, is, is troubling to me. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to, to, just very quickly on a couple of other points. I... Um, I think that the um, uh, the idea I, I'm a bit wary of the idea that premium taxis are the alternative that the consumers need. Uh, I mean, any alternative is welcome, but I think that uh, I think Mr. Leung uh, slightly incorrectly characterizes Uber as uh, uh, much more expensive or much higher, charging much higher fares. In most cases, it's actually very slightly higher. Uh, of course, there is the whole phenomenon now of Uber Taxi, which is just the uh, Uber being used to hail taxis, uh, which charge the same fare as regular taxis, yeah. um, and so on. So I don't think what the public needs is premium service, and I think that would be, again, solving the problem of people who, you know, by definition have less problems uh, or, you know, can afford more and so on. I think that there is a much more widespread need 
or better service for everyone, uh, not under the banner of premium and not just addressing things like, uh, you know, bad behavior of drivers and so on. All, all of this needs to be incentivized and the, the point penalty system, I think it's all good. Um, uh, just maybe as a final point, I think that some cities in the world that uh, where it was a political issue, uh, it became a political issue when Uber and other such platforms showed up and taxi drivers protested it. And it's uh, certainly not something that's unique to Hong Kong. The anger of drivers and this sense of uh, the, the property and so on. The reaction was that actually drivers did become better, including, as I said, accepting multiple forms of payment, etc. So I think that the, uh, if Hong Kong wants to uh, act in a similar way, the need, it needs to be much more ambitious than just saying uh, uh, we want, you know, we'll have a reporting system of bad drivers or we'll introduce premium vehicles. There needs to be something much more across the board, much more ambitious and comprehensive to address those problems if you are going to ban uh, the alternatives. Now, uh, going back to you, KY, it strikes me that there's a rather obstinate um, yeah, resistance to innovation, as highlighted by Orin just then, but also to the introduction of external competition, which has made the, the issue of Uber a rather thorny issue for the government. If you were advising the government, you know, given that the, the incumbent is keen on pressing forward results-oriented governance, how exactly can the government tackle this this Gordian knot and really bring in competition beyond just premium taxis and push for digitalization and innovation beyond what we currently have. What concrete steps can be undertaken, in your opinion, KY? Well, actually, uh, just now, the, the, the comment that, well, the taxi trade doesn't along, move along with technology development, for example, we can only pay cash. Actually, this pinpoint the current problem with the the industry, uh, and in a way that is so fragmented. Well, being fragmented, that means you'll never bump into the same driver, or the same driver, uh, taxi driver, will not bump into the same same client or, 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 or customer again. And that is the reason why you do not get any service. Uh, you, you actually have repeated service, then it's much better. And in fact, uh, the reason why, because it's so individualistic, each taxi driver is, is, runs his own business. And if it's not put down by the law that you have to accept, say, alternative payment methods like Octopus or whatsoever, then what is the incentive for the, for the driver uh, uh, to accept this additional or alternative payment? Right? It's not that it's not available. I I know the government and they are actually also uh, say for example the company operating Octopus has been trying to convince the taxi trade uh, uh, to use Octopus and they have very limited success because to the to the driver himself what's in it for me right and and that is the reason why uh, you have taxi free whether it's called a premium taxi or not. And one of the requirements imposed by government is informing such a free, you have to accept alternative payment, an yeah, in, in alternative payment method. Right? In the same way as, well, actually, taxi on itself, when they find they are the benefit, they do change, uh, change according to technology. Now you can actually uh, order taxi or your taxi on the web, right? 
these are development which in the last 10 years or so, right? Before, and it's much easier uh, to, to get a taxi if you actually uh, patronize or use these this, uh, 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 apps on the mobile surface, right? So to a certain extent, it's a matter of the industry itself is so fragmented. Unless you you actually get a and the government I understand this perfectly well, and and that is why the the only way to make any change is to get them organized. Uh, you charge with this much higher, or actually only slightly higher. You allow in the introduction of larger vehicles, so that there are people. If there are say six people, you can still ride on a on a taxi. All right. All sort of improvement. All right, Mr. Lang, uh, we'll have to t- continue this discussion in a moment because we need to take a break for the news. Uh, and uh, remember, if you want to ask our guests questions or just uh, share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Now here's a quick look at the weather. Cloudy in the morning, mainly fine and dry later with a top temperature of around uh, 18 degrees, winds moderate to fresh northerlies. The very cold weather warning is now in effect, as well as the red fire danger warning. Right now, it's 14 degrees, relative humidity 67%. It's now 9.30 with a news summary. Here's Barry O'Rourke. The United States says it's working with other members of the UN Security Council to resolve outstanding issues on a draft resolution calling for a suspension of hostilities in Gaza. The vote has already been delayed for more than a day amid efforts to find wording that would persuade the US, Israel's strongest ally, not to use its veto. The United Nations says the conflict in Sudan has forced more than 3.5 million children to flee their homes since it broke out in April, making it the worst child displacement crisis in the world. And Ukraine's president has rejected a suggestion that his country could be starting to lose the war against Russia. Volodymyr Zelensky acknowledged that Ukraine faces challenges, but said he was certain that allies like the US and the EU would not let Ukraine down. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. I'm Dr. Eminem. Seniors, the COVID-19 virus still exists in the community. As the elderly are at higher risk, for the sake of your health, don't take it lightly. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Families of the elderly should take them to designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or public hospitals as soon as possible to get COVID-19 jabs in time. You need no guesswork to get information from the government. The public can make requests for information under the code on access to information. Under the government's open and transparent principle, Departments will provide information to the public in accordance with the code on access to information as far as possible. If the information cannot be given, an explanation will be provided. Visit www.access.gov.hk to find out more. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Brian Wong and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is K.Y. Leung, the former president of the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport, and also Oren Thatcher, principal of OTC Planning and Design, a consultancy specializing in urban mobility. This morning, we are talking about changes in the local taxi trade. And uh, if you have any questions or comments on this, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, a back chat on RCHK Radio 3. Email 
us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, we have a comment from our listener, Marcus, and he says, uh, how about uh, new drivers under 75 years old? Um, and also we have another comment uh, from another listener, and he wants to know how the new penalty system will be um, enforced effectively. All right, maybe we go to, um, uh, let's go to Mr. Thatcher. What do you think of that? Um, I mean, how, how big an issue are elderly drivers when it comes to equality of taxi trade? Um, I, uh, I actually don't want to create uh, necessarily an equation of age and quality. I mean, I think it's unfair to taxi drivers. And it's, it's just not, for me, it's not a very precise way of addressing the problems. I think it's, it's a wrong angle to attack this problem because I think that uh, I'm sure there are many taxi drivers who are over 70 who are, are excellent and, you know, provide great service and great drivers. There's no correlation between the two. And so I, I think it's a it's kind of a, a, a false premise to say uh, our problem is elderly drivers. I, I honestly think that the problem is, is, is different. And if I can go back to the question that Mr. addressed before the break um, about enforcement, I... Uh, I actually think, if, so going back to the topic, to the issue that I raised about payment, I just don't understand why um, governments couldn't simply require taxi drivers, uh, all taxis in Hong Kong, by a certain date to accept uh, um, electronic payment, period. I mean, it's a, uh, the government has statutory powers in all sorts of industries to uh, require uh, various um, you know, compliance with various new uh, conditions, technologies, regulations, and so on, um, uh, more or less at, at its discretion, of course, with the approval of, I suppose, of LegCo and so on. So I don't know why. It's in, it's in the interest of the Hong Kong government that Hong Kong be what it claims to be, which is a forward-looking so-called smart city, you, you, you know, whatever label you want to give it for... Uh, uh, in terms of its economic interest, its interest as a as a as a, as, a, as a, an attraction, uh, a place that attracts tourists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't see why insisting on certain standards um, uh, is something that exceeds the authority of Hong Kong and violates property rights of taxi drivers. I just don't know why you need to go to um, the extreme of introducing an alternative service that will be called premium taxis in order to do something that I think needs to be done across the board. And again, back to the question of age, I don't think it's, I, I think age is just not the, 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 the angle from which you should attack this issue. All right. Uh, okay, we will, we'll uh, let uh, Mr. Learn respond to that in a moment because uh, we have a call on the line and uh, hello, good morning, Tom, are you there? Hi, good morning, good morning. Hi, good morning, Tom, what would you like to ask? I'm just listening uh, to the comments, and I've been here 30 years myself. I've seen a, a taxi fares double, and the service level has become worse. The cab drivers here uh, don't even bother to learn who talk about English, and they don't still don't still don't collect uh, anything other payment except cash. So I mean, I was in Africa last month uh, for about a couple of months, and. Uh, you know, mostly third world countries. Uber is everywhere. They are safer, they are cheaper, 
the cars are cleaner, the drivers try to speak English to me. I mean, this is uh, Asia's world city, and, uh, and we can't even have an Uber here. It's disgraceful. I mean, the elephant in the room is basically the, the government is trying to protect the taxi drivers. I don't know why, though. And then you're not going to attract more tourists coming to Hong Kong with this sort of taxi service. Right. But, but Tom, what, what do you think about the uh, new premium taxi fleets? Will, will that uh, we, don't help? Need, we, don't, we don't need premium taxis. We just need Uber to compete in the, op- in the open, uh, sort of in a in in fair, fair playing field so that the taxis can upgrade their services. We don't need more money to pay for better service. You need basic courtesy service with the current high fares. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your call. Okay, let's go to Mr. Leung. What do you think of uh, what uh, Tom just said? I mean, he says uh, um, competition within the taxi trade is uh, not enough, basically. Uh, well, it's not actually competition with being not enough in a way that, uh, we, well, in the past, we always, well, I mean, 25 years ago, government has been issuing additional taxi licenses. Uh, just to make more taxi more service more available, but then government find that a uh, we don't really need that, and it's always the case that our well, taxi like any other service, when everybody wants it, say for example in bad weather, you never have it, but in other time you probably have. You see empty taxi going around on the road. I think it's just it's relative life, uh, uh, which. You cannot really, uh, 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 well, you can do little about that. With regard to service, and we have been always talking about service. Yes, and that, uh, you, you need to complete on service. And the only way to do it is to get it organized. Uh, well, well, just now I mentioned that, well, I always keep, uh, I mentioned earlier on the, the taxi license premium. Uh, so, uh, can we have other service other than taxi? Say within the taxi industry, you can have competition, but you introduce other service without this like taxi license premium. Is it fair? Uh, is it uh, uh, fair competition? I'm not that sure. But coming back to the point about age drivers, yes, age drivers. On one hand, we say that we should not discriminate on age, but on the other, it's reality that as people grow older, uh, then your response becomes uh, slower, your eyesight not being so good, uh, hearing being not so good, and to have somebody who is not in the the best condition uh, uh, with all deteriorating uh, eyesight to drive uh, our response time to drive a, a, a taxi in in densely uh, urban area is of course is a risk always, and that is why not that we want to we want to uh, uh, discriminate the age, and and if there are no no other means, then of course more regular health check can be can help. But on the other hand, it's more important to encourage young people to come in. With regard to why cannot, why can't government uh, uh, introduce, make it, make it man- mandatory, man- mandatory to have taxi accepting other alternative payment methods. Just remember, two of, I think about two years ago, uh, government actually dished out consumer voucher, $5,000 or $10,000 per, 
per, per, per person to all citizens, right? Basically all, right? To all eligible. And government was trying to actually encourage or stimulate the, the retail market. Can government actually make it compulsory for all retail business to install Optopus or other alternative means of uh, government did try to persuade, and they have some success, but not really. You cannot dictate on them or make it mandatory. And this is the the society that we are in. Uh, if you want to change, change the law. And of course, law can always be changed after public consultation, after debate in the legal. But uh, obviously, government see the chance of going through is rather slim. So they try another uh, another approach, uh, not just to make it mandatory across the board. Thanks, KY. Like it strikes me that you've talked a lot about historical factors and the rationale for you know the restrictions and the capping number of taxis and licenses and so forth. But we're living in, after all, 2023 or nearly 2024 almost, and ultimately the interests of tourists, of consumers, of citizens, of the young drivers who are currently driving for Uber, surely their interests also matter. And as much as we should care for the interests of, of course, these uh, the, these taxi license owners and the drivers. Who, who, who have them, it's, is it not equally important, if not more important, to consider the interests of the other citizens who equally matter in this equation? How can we bring them into the fold and surely the government owes them something in terms of the actions and policies to pursue? What do you think, KY? Well, that's why I, all the way I say I'm in support of the latest in, initiative of government uh, launching this uh, scheme to have uh, taxi-free providing a premium service, uh, charge higher, and they have all sorts of, say, for example, goodies like alternative payment methods uh, all introduced to it. And if that scheme works, and, well, it hasn't been tried, just got approved, uh, 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 gone through the electrical so that it can be implemented. If it works, then a lot of problems, hopefully, can be resolved. If it doesn't work, then we actually have to go back and see how can we improve it to make it work. Right. Thanks. And Oren? Um, I think that incentives can be introduced in, in different ways. I mean, obviously, I completely agree with the point that consumers are this equation. Um, even though the years, uh, the taxi lobby was the only one that seemed to have any political sway in in Hong Kong. And that's unfortunate because it led to this current situation where uh, there's no accountability and there is no, uh, there appears to be no recourse uh, to improve things. So I would suggest that uh, government, uh, I mean, uh, Mr. Leng mentioned the the consumer voucher. I, I could be wrong, but I believe that consumer voucher was only made available through electronic means. I, uh, I I don't know that there was a cash alternative. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But certainly I would venture to say that more than 90%, if not 100% of people in Hong Kong who were eligible collected that voucher electronically and use it electronically. And the question is, um, so it, it shows that um, um, forcing people to move with the times and, and, and do things that are also beneficial for society at large, if Hong Kong's place is uh, Asia's world city, if we still call it that, um, and, you know, uh, outward looking, uh, inviting to people uh, and so on, uh, can be done. It can be incentivized in all sorts of ways. No one 
left $5,000 unclaimed because the only way to do it was electronic. And again, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's not far from the truth. So I think something similar could happen with taxis where uh, the government can uh, mandate certain things, no, no need to services uh, on the existing fleet of 18,000 taxis, and in so doing, create an environment where they are more popular and also become more attractive maybe for other people, young people, to, to participate in that. Um, I mean, they'll have better basis for asking for fare increases, for example. I mean, I think one of the reasons the, the public uh, 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 opposes fare increases is because everybody says, fare increases for what? I mean, we're getting really bad service and, you know, drivers are grumpy and they don't take the only cash, et cetera. That might change if if the industry uh, becomes more modern and attractive. The fleet is modernized. That can be mandated as well, and so on. So that that would be my suggestion in terms of how government can intervene in a proactive way and a way that I think could lead to results that affect everybody, not just premium, so-called premium passengers. Th thank you. For, and, and on that, you know, when it comes to Uber or Grab or many of these other P2P uh, platform-based uh, services, we've seen the implementation in Southeast Asia, in Northeast Asia, in, in the US, and indeed even in Africa, based on uh, Tom's remarks just then. To what extent do we think uh, Orin, Hong Kong, could learn from the mainland Chinese implementation of Didi Da Che, Didi Tu Xing, as essentially a, a mechanism for this sort of P2P uh, ordering or booking services for taxis? I, I, I think, I mean, look, I, 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 I've used Didi not too many times, so I, I, I can't... Uh, I can't say that I'm familiar with the differences between that and the services globally that I'm maybe more familiar with, like Uber and Lyft and, and Grab and so on. Um, there are different – look, at this point, there's a lot of experience around the world, including mainland China, uh, Southeast Asia, and, and all those other places, uh, to um, – there are different mechanisms, there are different models, there are different ways in which it was resolved – uh, uh, with the taxi industry. The reality is no place in the world, no taxi drivers welcomed uh, those services, but I think it proved over time that I wouldn't say it's a win-win, but it wasn't necessarily a net loss always. Um, it, it wasn't a zero-sum game as, as some uh, uh, supporters of the taxi industry predicted. I, I, I just think that there's just so much global experience now with, you know, it's more than a decade of these services operating all over the world under different models that Hong Kong could study and see which one is the most applicable and appropriate for Hong Kong. Um, you know, um, I, I can't say that one solution or another is one is best because, again, uh, that's something that probably needs to be looked at in more detail. All right. I have a few more uh, messages from our listeners. I'll just read, a, read them out. Uh, there's one from Ilner. He says, uh, one prevailing issue in the Hong Kong taxi trade has been complaints about rudeness from drivers. This aspect has consistently topped the list of grievances from passengers. Therefore, the implementation of the new penalty system is long overdue. And uh, another message here from Beth. And uh, she says, I agree Hong Kong is uh, behind on things such as a taxi service taxi services and uh, she goes on to say drivers that ask you to show me the way is appalling they don't speak english and don't know the way they mumble and grumble if you ask them to turn the radio down 
In general, they are terrible and usually cause stress when getting into the taxi. And then she says, I think Uber should stay and government needs to get rid of the cash system. And uh, that's an email from Beth. And uh, one more message here from Catherine. And uh, she says Hong Kong is a leading financial center with a taxi system based on cash. Tourists find Hong Kong Island taxis versus Kowloon taxis confusing. And this arguably number one is unnecessary in the digital Google map age. And number two limits taxi stock. And uh, she says uh, she agrees with uh, our guest who said... uh, that uh, the taxi industry's view is uh, from what's in it for me and not how we can provide a good service. And uh, that comes down to competition. And that uh, message is from Catherine. So just uh, very briefly, finally, uh, Mr. Leung, anything you want to add before we wrap up? Well, actually, thanks uh, for this opportunity. Actually, this program also allow our general public, member of our general public, air out what they think. Uh, though, well, of course... I, I consider myself knowing a little bit more of the constraints and how it's a different view. But I think what's important is now these voices should be heard and government should actually, uh, uh, should actually respond much more quickly. Say, for example, even I support uh, having premium taxi in the form of a taxi free. How, long, how many years have we taken? Can we do it faster so that there will be less grumble? grumbling about from the public. So this is something that I would like uh, the uh, at least government and administration could respond faster and, and respond better. All right. Mr. Tasha, any, any last, um, last comment? Yeah, I'd like to just put this in the context of um, kind of greater uh, urban mobility, just kind of a very quick note on that. The transport department has been promoting uh, and it seems to be very focused on the idea of, of, of uh, transport on demand, or, or um, maybe they use a slightly different term, um, as, as a solution to uh, bus transport in Hong Kong and some kind of balancing of road traffic, etc. I just think that um, uh, it's a bit, it would be good if the problem of taxis versus uh, car hailing services like Uber or DD and so on uh, be seen in the context of transport on demand, how the greater mobility needs of Hong Kong are addressed, um, not just as an issue, as a, as a kind of a fight between um, a, an, a kind of entrenched industry and then, uh, you know, this uh, disruptor, um, but more uh, as, as kind of a, as, as a global transport provision policy right. uh, in, in the city. So All right, that would Mr. Be all right. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Oren Thatcher, Principal of OTC Planning and Design and Urban Planning and Transport Consultancy. Many thanks also to KY Leung, the former president of the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now coming up to uh, 9.52 and uh, we'll... Uh, now move on to our second topic and uh, it's about uh, a trail runner who was recently trapped in a smart public toilet in Chateau Cock for 10 minutes and uh, only managed to get out after calling for help. The Undersecretary for the Environment and Ecology Diane Wong said the incident involved initiation problems which has been resolved and uh, to comment on this we're now joined on the line by Dr Henry Hung. 
the founding member of the Hong Kong Toilet Association. Good morning, Dr. Hung. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, I'm going to start with a comment from our listener, Michael, and uh, he says, What got stuck in the toilet for 10 minutes? Who wants to admit that? 10 hours is a tragedy. 10 minutes. Well, that's just Hong Kong. And uh, that comment is uh, from Michael. So, uh, Dr. Hung, what do you think of the incident? Uh, Are you surprised by what happened? Yeah, I'm very surprised that happened. Actually, I'm now visiting one of the so-called smart toilet in in uh, the uh, science park over here. And really, there's some sort of um, indication problem, I think. They, they, they have the signage there, but not very clear. So that may be the, the problem causing uh, some guy lock inside the toilet. Yeah, I think they have to really to improve a lot on the signage or how to use that uh, touchless idea. Actually, the idea is good. So people do not have to touch the door, and then the door will open automatically. But when it's closed, then how make it open? There's a problem. I mean, when the guy is inside. On a more general note, uh, Dr. Hung, to what extent do you see AI as applicable to the improvement of toilet design and services at large? Well, it is not really the improvement. Actually, this is as much improved already. And this uh, smart toilet is uh, quite a brand new one. But the, the problem is the... The, the idea um, that how to teach people, how to educate people, how to use it, that's a problem. Right. Like, like I mentioned earlier, the Undersecretary for the Environment and Ecology said that this uh, incident involved uh, initiation problems. Uh, I guess it's something to do with uh, the waving of the hand in front of the sensor. Can you explain what that's about? Well, yeah, that, that, that's the uh, system that we, we just wave our hand. That means we don't have to touch the the, the, the handle, the door will be open or closed. But the problem is the indication is not clear. I've just been inside the, the, the that toilet with the sensor and I, I, I myself also trapped inside. So I now the alarm is on. So that, that's really something not good. Right. The, the, tra- the um, trail runner who was affected by the incident, I mean, she, she questioned why the toilets have become so complicated. In your view, is it, uh, is it complicated? Is it that complicated? Actually, it's not really complicated. It's very simple, but it's only the signage, uh, how to tell people how to use it. Suppose the elderly people, they go in and then they don't know which, which uh, button is, which is to wave our hand or touch it or, or, or not. So I think there should be a room for improvement, how to tell people how to use it when it's so-called used the, the smart toilet. Right. I haven't used a, a smart toilet before, but but I have seen it at a shopping mall in Sampo Kong and uh, people who attempted to use it, uh, they seem, they also seem to be a bit confused by its operation. I, I mean, for example, I saw um, someone waving at it, but the door didn't open immediately. And then, no. uh, and then when they waved at it again, the door opened halfway, then closed again. So, so oh, in the yeah. end, so basically, in the end, the staff who were standing outside the toilet to make sure people knew how to use the toilet, they just told people to just use the uh, normal toilets instead of the uh, not so. I mean, to use the normal toilets, the, the not so smart toilets. Uh, so, no. so do you think um, signage will help, or 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 do we need to do more? I think signage will help, but uh, only uh, it's, it, it takes time that uh, people know how it, it is used. That's a problem. So I, I think they need uh, some attendant uh, outside or inside uh, outside the toilet to let people know how to use it. Uh, as the other day, I saw uh, one guy inside the toilet, but 
uh, the toilet door was not uh, really locked, and then some guys opened out from outside, and the, the door was open. So very embarrassing. At what point do you think, Doctor Hung? Sometimes it might be actually preferable to stick to non-smart options because by implementing technologies in places where maybe technology is not needed, we could well be inadvertently walking into a trap of over-dependence upon so and so or so-so automation. Well, yes, the idea is good. We use uh, um, uh, smart uh, ideas, but the thing is that not every users they are smart enough to use it. So it I mean, it probably takes time for the users to to get used to it. That's yeah. very fair. And where do you see the next steps in development for the smart toilet in terms of uh, enhancement of design beyond just uh, getting people to understand it better? What's next for it? What's next for the design and the model of smart toilets? Well, uh, the next design is try to uh, improve uh, the the installation or the the devices more friendly, uh, user friendly rather than too much complication so that people cannot get used to it. But the main thing is that it must be clean, hygienic, and easy for for users to use it. So that is the main idea. Now, Hong Kong wants to position itself as a smart city, and yet digital literacy strikes me as a component that's sorely missing in a status quo. How exactly should the government seek to improve the digital literacy of its citizens? Is it via education, via mass dissemination, or via just having someone standing next to a smart device to explain to people how the smart device actually works? Yes, actually, this kind of smart installation, they are good, but... Uh, as I said before, the management is very important too. They have to train their toilet attendant how to teach people how to use it, or when there's any problem, then they how how to resolve it. That's also another thing they have to do. Right, and just briefly going back to the uh, smart toilet incident. Um, I mean, I mean, luckily this time it involved a trail runner who is young. I mean, are you worried about uh, elderly people who might uh, have to learn how to use these smart toilets? Yeah, exactly. That is very important. Uh, they, although there's an emergency button inside, but even I, I, I press the uh, emergency button, it takes a couple of minutes before people coming in. So that there's also another, another problem. Even they have the emergency button inside the toilet. All right. And uh, Dr. Hung, I'm afraid we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us on the program. That's uh, Dr. Henry Hung, founding member of the Hong Kong Toilet Association. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today. And uh, of course, uh, the caller who called us this morning. And uh, also many thanks to our guest presenter, Brian, and producer, Raphael. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of Back Chat.